Hello and welcome to this Thursday edition of Back to the Bible. We are continuing our series, A Firm Grip on the Gospel, a study in the book of Luke. So, please, if you can, join us in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through to 11, as Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld brings us a message titled, Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath, and that's the fourth commandment, and the command is simple. Exodus 28 to 11, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You know, Sabbath is one of the blessings of God. Don't work yourself into an early grave. Take time to reflect, to worship, to give thanks to God for his blessings, and to spend time with your sons and your daughters. Make one day a week unlike all other days. And when you do, remember that the God you serve is also unlike all others. You know, in ancient Judaism, the Sabbath was Saturday, the day when God had completed his work of creation, and then he had rested from all the work he had done. And so men and women were required to follow the pattern God had left in the created order. And when the Christian church began, initially the church followed the historic pattern of observing the Sabbath, but as the Gentile mission took off at some point in time, Christians began to observe Sunday rather than Saturday. And we have evidence of that. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Paul speaks of Christians gathering together on the first day of the week. And please remember that 1 Corinthians was written around AD 53, only 20 years after the formation of the church. And so within the first 20 years, the church had already shifted from Sabbath, that is Saturday, to Sunday, and called that day the Lord's Day. And Christians made it a practice and a command of God that they should take the first day of every week and practice rest. Listen, would you, as I read from the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, As it is of the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in his word, by a positive moral and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages... God has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ has changed to the first day of the week, which in the scripture is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as a Christian Sabbath. Well, since that time, most Christian statements of faith have included a clause that on the Lord's Day, All Christians should cease from their work, from everything, but from deeds of necessity. That has been the historic Christian view of the Sabbath. Now, as I say all these things, so that we don't, when reading the Sabbath controversies that embroil Jesus and the Pharisees, that we should imagine that Jesus was ignoring the fourth commandment because he was now a part of a new order in which, you know, the fourth commandment was no longer binding on God's people. Listen, Jesus was not in favor of abolishing the Sabbath commandments. Indeed, he openly proclaimed that he had not come to do away with the law. So let's keep that in mind as we study Luke chapter 6. 
We begin with verses 1 to 5. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, it's clear from this passage that this was the time of the year when grain was ripening. You know, grain is harvested in Israel between mid-May and mid-June, and so it must have been very close to the beginning of the harvest, perhaps it's early May. And Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields, which, you know, doesn't mean they're walking in the middle of them and destroying them, probably at the edge of the fields. According to the law, it's permissible for a traveler to eat that which is on the edge of the field. And so Jesus and his disciples were acting completely within the Old Testament law. So the grain is ripening, and they are picking some, and they're rubbing it in their hands in order to separate the grain from the chaff, and they're eating. They're hungry. This is good food that's available to them. Now, our text doesn't tell us where the Pharisees came from. You know, since the scene is out in the grain field rather than a town or a village where Jesus was teaching, you have to wonder at some point, out of hatred for Jesus, the Pharisees have sent spies to watch him all the time to try to trip him up in something. And as they witness the activity of Jesus and his disciples, the Pharisees think, look, Jesus has violated the Sabbath. It's the law of God. God commanded the Sabbath to be kept, and they're not doing it. They cast the law of God aside for the sake of their hungry stomachs. Now, in order to understand this, we need to consider how the Pharisees, experts at applying the law of God to people's lives, would have thought. And when it came to what constituted work, the Mishnah, which is a collection of the oral traditions of Judaism, says that there were, and I quote, 40 save one regulations as to what was permitted and not on the Sabbath. So 39 things that are prohibited on the Sabbath. And according to that list, reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food were all forbidden on the Sabbath. And Jesus and his disciples had violated already four of the 39 prohibitions without so much as a thought. Now, as we read the text, we can see that the Pharisees are directing their attack against the disciples. But they mean to target Jesus when we read, as we do in verse 2, what are you doing? The you here is plural. That is, what are you all doing? All 13 of you on the Sabbath. But it's Jesus they're after. Look, they appear to be saying how Jesus leads his disciples astray, teaching them to have no concern for the law of God. And by the way, that's not a trivial charge. Jesus himself said, and we read of it in Matthew 5.19, that whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, now, the fourth command is hardly one of the least of the commands. I know that in our day, many Christians, you know, because of the neglect of teaching on this matter, regularly break the fourth command, thinking it's no big deal. But I press this point so that we'll feel the impact of this thing as it should be felt. What was charged against Jesus was no small thing, and we shouldn't think it was. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, look, the Sabbath's no big deal. Rather, he strenuously defends his actions, and he does so on the basis of Scripture. But notice also that Jesus will challenge the Jewish oral law or the Jewish traditions as to how to properly apply the law of Sabbath. 
He's saying, look, do you think that your application of Sabbath laws are correct? I tell you, they're not. And I can prove it to you from Scripture. And with that, Jesus defends himself appealing to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. And in that passage, David is fleeing from Saul who seeks to kill him. David's desperate. He comes to the city of Nob. He's greeted by a priest named Ahimelech. David wants food for himself with the group of young men who are following with him. And Ahimelech tells David he has no regular bread. All he has is the bread of the presence set on the table of showbread in the tabernacle of God, which was in Nob. That bread was in the tabernacle as a symbol that God would daily care for the physical needs of his people. Ahimelech calls this bread a holy bread. It was intended for no common purpose. It was only for worship. But David says that he and his young men are holy. They're on a holy mission. And, and because of that, Ahimelech agrees. On the basis of a holy mission, it is permitted that holy bread be offered. And so, you know, under normal conditions, the bread of the presence was only to be eaten by the priest. That was the law. But the law also provided for exceptions. And this sacred mission, said David, is just such an exception. Now, this is the key point, because in rabbinic traditions, that is, in the teachings of the rabbis at that time, this event in 1 Samuel happened on the Sabbath. And the reason the rabbis say that is because 1 Samuel says the bread had just been changed, which would happen on the Sabbath. See, the point is that David didn't violate the holy and consecrated bread, and he didn't violate the Sabbath. Now, let's get back to what Jesus was saying. Verse 5. Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, a literal reading of that text says, the Lord of the Sabbath is the Son of Man. The emphasis here is that the application of what Jesus and his disciples were doing is a narrow application. Jesus is not saying, I mean, go ahead now and thresh wheat whenever you feel like you'd want to do so on the Sabbath. Rather, he's saying something far more profound. He is saying, I'm greater than David, I'm Lord of all, and as Lord of the Sabbath, I make the rules as to what happens on the Sabbath. Now, what can that mean? Does that mean that Jesus has the right to violate the Sabbath at will? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that Jesus has an application principle that we should all pay attention to as to what can and can't be done on the Sabbath. This is Back to the Bible, Bible teaching you can trust. You know, it's amazing how many persons have testified that they were introduced to Back to the Bible as children, listening in the car as they made their way to school, or at home, listening on the radio with their parents or even grandparents. Back to the Bible is committed to the sowing of God's Word in the hearts of men women and children, not just in Jamaica, but across the Caribbean and indeed the world. The good news is that you can stand with us in our commitment. Your prayers help prepare the soil, and your donations help us to plant the seed of truth through our varied ministry outlets. And so we ask that you prayerfully consider making a donation to this ministry to help us with our commitment. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give will go a far way in helping us plant the seed of God's word in the hearts of individuals. 
Donations can be made via online bank transfer or in-bank deposit. Our business checking account is with the Halfway Tree branch of the Bank of Nova Scotia, account number 428310. That's our business checking account number 428310 at the Halfway Tree branch of Scotia Bank. Checks can be sent to us via mail to Back to the Bible, Box 123, Kingston 10, Jamaica. Please make checks payable to Back to the Bible. Of course, you can always come by our office in Hagley Park Plaza to drop off your donation or make your contribution via our point-of-sale machine. Now, as we prepare to get Back to the Bible... Let's rejoin Bible teacher John Newfield with the conclusion of today's study. So when Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath, what exactly does he mean? I mean, one approach to answering that question would be to discuss what Jesus meant when he called himself the Son of Man. And as interesting and as informative as that approach would be, I don't think that's the emphasis in this passage. Yeah, Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And as Son of Man, Jesus is not just fully human. He's the federal head of the entire human race. He is the new Adam. He's the one who leads humanity not to sin, but to reconciliation with God and to the fulfillment of all that a redeemed humanity was destined to become, ruler of the works of God's hands. You know, I've said it before, but it bears repeating. All who are born again inherit all that belongs to Jesus with the exception of his divinity. Look, we don't become God. I mean, to imagine that we become God, that's a violation of the first commandment, that we are to have no other gods but the true God. Man will always be man. God will always be God. We don't become gods. To even suggest such a thing is blasphemy of the highest order. But we do inherit all that belongs to Jesus. In the kingdom to come, we will rule under the authority of Jesus, and we will rule all that belongs to the creation. And so when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he means that he's the head of a new race of humanity. But as I've said, I don't think that's the emphasis here. The emphasis here is because of the lofty title that Jesus has, he can be the one who applies the law of Sabbath. Look at it this way. The Pharisees, with their 40 minus 1 laws that they thought interpreted the Sabbath rightly, had not applied it correctly. Jesus says, look, you're wrong. You don't interpret the Sabbath. I do. Not rabbinic laws. No, no, I do as the Son of Man. I'm the one who tells you how to keep the Sabbath. My authority is greater than the combined authority of all the rabbis who've ever lived, as well as all the theologians who've ever lived. My application of the laws of God are final. That's a stunning thing to say. If you want to keep the Sabbath, don't listen to the Pharisees or the rabbis of old. Listen to the Son of Man. But we need to ask ourselves exactly what did Jesus teach about the Sabbath? And to answer that question, Luke takes us to the next Sabbath day controversies with the Pharisees. So we're reading Luke chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. 
and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. See, on this occasion, Jesus had entered a synagogue on the Sabbath. And that's not surprising because, as we've seen, Jesus always attended synagogue worship on the Sabbath. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is not a Sabbath breaker. On any given Sabbath, throughout his entire life, Jesus would have paused from the work he was doing. He would have rested. He would have worshipped along with the other people of God. He didn't make up his own rules. He worshipped. On any Sabbath, in any synagogue, the scriptures were read, prayers were offered, the people heard the word of God being explained to them, and Jesus, along with all the people of God, was doing the same thing with them. He was worshipping. He was not skipping. He was worshipping God along with the rest of the people of God. And that's the context, and that context can't be neglected. But on this Sabbath, and Luke doesn't tell us exactly where Jesus was, You know, by reading Matthew and Mark, it would appear that Jesus was in his home synagogue in Capernaum. He had come to worship, and on that day he was teaching there. As was always the case, a passage of Scripture had been read. Jesus was explaining that passage of Scripture, no doubt, going over it sentence by sentence, word for word, explaining the meaning to the congregation that was gathered. And Luke tells us a man was there. So, in my imagination, he was in the front row. You know, he's a withered hand, and that means that his hand had atrophied. And perhaps he had some form of a malady, or perhaps it was a condition from birth. But Luke is careful to explain that this was the man's right hand. No doubt this was the hand that was used to work, and no doubt. It was not just a medical condition, but this also affected the man's ability to work, to earn a living, to provide for himself, and whatever other needs his family might have. His entire livelihood was reduced to poverty. There he is in the front row of that synagogue, and all the Pharisees who are still smarting after Jesus' audacious claim that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, now they're watching. They know his power to heal. And they know that he might do this on the Sabbath. What will he do, they ask themselves. And so they wait to see how he's going to act. Luke says Jesus knew their thoughts, and of course he does. And as they watch, breathing with resentment and hatred, he calls to the man with a withered hand, Come, he says, stand right here beside me. And the man does. And so there is Jesus with a man with a withered hand standing beside him. And I imagine everyone in the synagogue is deathly quiet. They're expecting something profound, and they're not going to be disappointed. And then Jesus directs his comments at the Pharisees, who are there on that Saturday. Here's a question for them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to destroy it? You answer the question. The question of law as in, is it lawful means, is it permitted according to your rabbinic traditions on how to apply the law of Sabbath? Give this entire congregation in the synagogue on this Sabbath your expert opinion. Answer right now, you're the experts, at least you claim to be, in the law. See, the question is extremely important. In Isaiah chapter 58, the prophet denounces the hypocrisy of some who were fasting and remained wicked. He says, is not this the fasting the Lord has appointed to loose the bonds of wickedness? 
to let the oppressed go free, to share your bread with the hungry, to cover the naked with clothing, so forth. And with that, the prophet goes on to speak about the obligations of the Sabbath. See, the point is, the Sabbath can't be celebrated if the needs of your fellow man and woman are being neglected. See, imagine a person showing up in a synagogue, or in our context, in a church. He's needy, but we say, well, we can't help you in your need. We're not supposed to work on this day. And helping you constitutes work, so get help on another day. Our hands are tied every Sunday. Well, how can such approach glorify God or be what God has required of us? That brings me back to what is customarily said by historic Christian statements of faith about the Sabbath. All Christians on the first day of the week are called upon to rest from their labors and to give themselves to both worship and rest. And in this, according to the teaching of Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, the exception is deeds of mercy and deeds of necessity. Later, when Jesus discussed this again in Luke 13, verse 15, he says, Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to drink water? See, that's work, but it is a deed of necessity. And so it is on the Sabbath. We're to cease from our labors. We're not to work. We're supposed to rest, and we're supposed to truly rest. Stop working. But when there's a person before us who has a great need, we never turn our back on that person. And so if you're a police officer, a firefighter, a nurse, a doctor, you know, the genuine needs of others demand that we respond. But that exception doesn't take away from us our desire to have one day of every week not for recreation, not for work, but for worship. You see the difference? Recreation is not a deed of necessity, nor is it an act of mercy. We are bound by Sabbath but never bounded in our need to show love and compassion for the least of these. On those things, there are no boundaries. Now back to Jesus and the man with a withered hand. The Pharisees don't like the question. They choose not to speak. And on that day, everyone in the synagogue took note. It's not the Pharisees who understood the Sabbath. Neither was it the weight of rabbinic tradition that could apply the Sabbath to the lives of people. Only the man who's the Lord of Sabbath can do so. And so Jesus demands the man with the withered hand stretch it out. Let everyone in the synagogue see it and see the harm that has come to this man through this disability. Take it in. Let the thought of what this man experiences permeate your soul and they allow that to happen. And Jesus heals him. And the response of the Pharisees, oh yeah, they can't get themselves to care about the sufferings of others. Your Sabbath is a blessing from God, but if we allow that blessing to become anything but a blessing, Sabbath can become a force of evil. Thanks, Dr. John. Uh, why do you think it is that we have sort of diminished the keeping of the Sabbath? And how do you keep the Sabbath in your own home? I mean, I think the first reason is, look, when a culture changes, it's very easy for us to simply, you know, go along with what culture does. That's called the temptations of the world. I suppose another reason might be is that there hasn't been a great deal of teaching on this matter. And some of us may have never heard a sermon on it. And then there are those that argue that, you know, that the fourth commandment just doesn't even apply anymore in any sense of the word. So there's that. Uh, now to, to your answer about how do I keep the Sabbath, well, one thing I do cease from my labors. 
Um, I, I will not give myself to that kind of work. I make sure that I'm always, you know, church on a Sunday. That kind of thing is very important to me. And I think it's important to the Lord. So I think it's just as simple as that. Thanks for joining us today here on Back to the Bible, brought to you by Back to the Bible Broadcast Jamaica, in a partnership with listeners who give in support of this ministry. Our office is located at shop number 22, Hagley Park Plaza, Kingston 10. Our office hours are from Mondays through to Fridays from 8.30 a.m. through to 4 p.m. We can be contacted via email at backtothebibleministry at gmail.com. Our office number is 876-926-5765 and our cell and WhatsApp number is 876-337-6295. To listen to this study again or some of our previous studies, they are available in our free mobile app along with other Bible engagement material. Just look for BTTB Jamaica in your app store. That's BTTB Jamaica. You can also listen and download our studies from other podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Be sure to look for Back to the Bible Jamaica. We invite you to join us tomorrow as Dr. John Newfeld shares a message titled 12 Ordinary Men. That's tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Jamaica, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.